Hello and welcome to Apartment 29A. I'm Shosh. And I'm Megan. And we're two best friends who have a lot to say. This week, we're going to talk about the podcast Offline with Jean Favreau and special guest Ro Khanna. Then we're going to talk about the book Imposter Syndrome by Kathy Wang. We're going to end with things we can't stop thinking about this week, which is California gun safety and aphantasia. So Shosh, while we do this, we're going to drink mango passion fruit tea, instant tea by Wittard, right? Wittard? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? I love it. Me too. This is the second one of these we've had. We had the peach Melba one, which I also loved and is now completely gone. And it was Aww. a special edition one, so I can't get any more. And because we loved that one so much, we had to try some other flavors. And I really, really, really like it. I think this mm-hmm. is like one of my favorite things. I need to really stock up on this instant tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this mango passion fruit, really good. I really only taste the passion fruit, but I'll believe them that there's mango in there. Yeah. <laughs> Mango's a I very feel- strange flavor. Like it's in a lot I, of things. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't taste it. <laughs> I kind of feel that way too, but it doesn't bother me at all. It, it's just really good. It's really summery. Super easy to make because I just made it straight with cold water mm-hmm. instantly. I mean, mm-hmm. as the name implies, it's instant tea. Yep. I didn't have to add any sugar. I'm still nope. surprised you like these so much because they do. Are they like sweet enough for me? So I'm surprised that you don't feel like they're too sweet. I think it's sweet enough for you and tangy enough for me. Well, good. We've found a great balance then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so far, Wittered is two for two on these instant teas. So yeah. I would highly, highly recommend. And I will definitely be finishing this one as well. Yes, for sure. So I feel like that's a good recommendation because some of them we talk about and I enjoy them, but I don't instantly just want to go make more of them. <laughs> right. They kind of like sit in my cabinet and it's not that I wouldn't drink them. I just don't often choose to for whatever reason. But this one, I will 100% be making. It's nice to have a like an added drink to the repertoire. Shall we talk about offline? Yes. John Favreau. I love him. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the newer podcasts by from the Crooked Media Network. Uh, it doesn't feel that new anymore because it's been. I don't know. They thought, I think they thought they were going to do like a season of it. And then John was like, I really enjoy this. I'm never going to stop. <laughs> and he yeah, was because able or- to get more guests. Oh, Originally, it was in the Pod Save America feed. Mm-hmm. And so I think they were thinking it was just going to be like a very limited season, sort of like he's done with the voting stuff, which I'm blanking mm-hmm. on the name of that podcast. I don't remember. It's either. not going to come to me because I only want to say is vote save America, and that's not right. <laughs> but he he's done in the past like limited podcasts that have actually been limited to like a set number of of episodes, and even he's sometimes done more than one season. But I think they thought it was going to be like that, where it would be like a short one, and now it's just wilderness? ongoing. Yes, the wilderness. There you go. Thank you. That was definitely not coming. So. I think they thought it would be maybe more like that in like a limited sort of run. And now it's an all the time podcast. Mm-hmm. So basically they just talk about all things kind of technology. Mm-hmm. It's like phones, social media, 
they talked about AI or something one time. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I don't remember all the subjects, but they've had a lot of really interesting guests and topics, and I've I've really been enjoying it from the beginning. And this week, it was interesting to hear them talk to Rokana because he's the senator. I think senator. No, Congress. congressman. House of Thank Representatives. You. Yep. Yeah, there we go. Congressman from the Silicon Valley area, which yep. is of course all the technology. So that was interesting, and uh, he wrote a book that's either out or coming out so that was cool to sort of hear them have a conversation yeah so he's the first elected official that has been on the show they I think John Favreau was like maybe we don't have elected officials because if you see them interview Silicon Valley members those interviews do not go well but after Rogan's book (laughs) I was gonna say it's so true he pointed out that like sometimes they're horrifying and that (laughs) is true because all these people you know when they ask the questions and things you're like you have no idea what you're talking about I thought that was so funny when he called that out yep you're like all right grandpa now we know why there's no legislation because you're not using TikTok or even I also he he didn't say it but I also kind of got the feeling that maybe because Pod Save America is so centered on politicians and things like that as well that you know maybe he kind of feels like that's the space for sort of like elected officials but obviously with this book coming out it made sense for them to have conversation yeah I think it's called Dignity in a Digital Age Making Tech Work for All of Us by Ro Khanna this was a fun episode. I enjoyed. Uh, so you may know Ro Khanna also as one of the only Democrats who tends to go on the Fox and other right wing media. Um, and so he's gotten some notoriety and some pushback for that from other Democrats. Um, but he has a whole thing that I really appreciate where he's like, well, we need to have conversations can't remember I want to say conversations that start with respect but I don't think that's the word he used I don't remember I know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. because he did make a good point but I can't remember what terminology he used yeah but you know close enough where he's like we just have to we have to be able to have these conversations and recognize that like I may be correct in my thinking but that doesn't mean that every little piece of data that's connected to my right thought is correct (laughs) (laughs) and you know so like it's he's found some real benefits to talking to people from the other side of the aisle and being like okay like that is a that's a valid point that you're making let me see how I can edit that or add it to you know the bills or whatnot that I'm trying to to make where you know he wants technology to make money he's not opposed to you know, the, the businesses in his district making money, he just wants to see them do it in a healthier way that isn't solely focused on making money, that is also focused on creating a healthier democracy. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. There was some like interesting conversation stuff about, you know, like the idea that they thought the internet was going to bring everybody together, because then mm-hmm. everybody would be connected. But then it actually hasn't really worked that way because <laughs> again, right. there's no like, there's no like checks and balances on it. It's like, yes, that's great that everyone can now be con- connected and talk, but you know, it doesn't actually control what people are saying. Mm-hmm. Well, and why did we think, why, why are we like, why were we so naive 
to believe that just because we could connect people meant that like the same social strata issues that are in society wouldn't be connected online. So yeah, if it's still only white people at the top, then here we're going to have very racist places online. Yeah, you're connected, great. But why did we think like just connection was somehow going to somehow solve make all, those all the isms go away? Yeah. <laughs> well, also, why is everyone so afraid to have any kind of regulation in general? And he also pointed out that if there were more people involved in creating a lot of the spaces, mm -hmm. then you might have a lot more equality and you wouldn't necessarily have as many issues. But because right. you, again, have like a few people creating and controlling, then that basically allows a lot of these issues to, you know, fester and grow, basically. Mm -hmm. I don't know. The internet is kind of a scary place. <laughs> it is. It, because it doesn't... I think it allows people to, to think that they're in some sort of safe, fake world or fake place that's somehow different and separate from their life. So they yep. can say things that they wouldn't say to someone's face. Yep. They're like keyboard warriors. Uh-huh. Like I would, like even this week I was messaging on a friend's post about she posted something about gun legislation which we'll talk about later and you know someone posted on there on in response that you know no one should take away my rifles blah 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 and she responded to say well I'm not trying to take away your rifle I'm trying to take away like assault guns that you know nobody needs to have right <laughs> that are not a rifle that literally um shoot multiple rounds really really quickly uh, and she's like and I'm not even trying to take them away I'm just you know the post was about raising the age limit from 18 to 21 or 26 something like that um and at the end of that conversation he had said something like anybody who's a criminal is going to act in the exact same way they don't care about laws and I piped in and was like you know, I'm a psychology teacher and the best of research indicates that that is not correct. Everyone is not all the same. Like all criminals are not identical. <laughs> uh, so just the use of his language, I was like, nope, sorry. Like you, your point is, is missing because of some of these words. And his response was, oh, I'm talking about reality, not academia. And I was like, okay, I'm out. I, I'm, I'm not like, I know those two it's... things are not separate. Academia is sometimes it's wrong about things that are happening in reality, but it's like, it's literally studying reality. There is not a separation of academia from reality, except in the fact that like, sometimes the solutions that academia creates, you're like, oh, that's cute. And if we could control reality the way you did in your study, that would work, <laughs> right, but we sure. can't, so. <laughs> But this, it, I feel like the internet creates these spaces that people do think are somehow separate or not connected to the rest of the world. And I'm like that, like, it's almost like they're not real because, you know, mm -hmm. you don't have to deal with the emotions. It's, 
you know what I mean? It feels like a whole totally separate space. It's almost like you're not even talking to a real person. So you get those, the keyboard warriors that'll just say whatever they want. And part of it too, is it's so hard. A lot of those people that are saying things like what your friend was dealing with in the comments, you can't, you can't argue with them. It doesn't actually matter how much information you give them. Amir has a habit of challenging AKA people. compulsion. <laughs> well, he gets so frustrated. Like he mm-hmm. won't actually argue the issues with people, even if he disagrees. But when he sees false information, he has a really hard time not calling it out and saying okay. kind of like exactly what you did, where you were like, well, actually, if you look at the facts, that is not true. So, you know, he he wouldn't argue, you know what I mean? And, or even say his opinion, but he would say, oh, well, here's an article that disproves that. Or think about what you just said. That's not even possible. You know, he'll, he'll like call people out, but it honestly doesn't even matter. They will like fight you tooth and nail. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what information you give them. They, they won't change their mind and they won't acknowledge that it could even be real. Because for example, if you give them like, say a news article, they'll just be like, oh, it's, it's false news. Like it's fake news. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Okay. So then you give them another piece of stuff, like a, a government document or something. And they're like, oh, well, you can't trust the government. It's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what right. information you give them. You know, the same thing with yours. You know, they'll be like, oh, well, who cares about, you know, academia? It's definitely, you know, that's not reality. Right. It, so it doesn't, it doesn't actually matter how much information you give them. You'll never change their mind. Yeah. Which actually... They had a discussion sort of about that in the podcast because they were talking about the um, algorithms and how they feed information mm-hmm. and how they found that if you, I think it was about abortion that they were talking about, if I remember correctly, and they, if you, they fed you the information and it was from an outside source, a non-friend, it actually even like contradictory information it would just make you hunker down in your original thoughts and it only could kind of break through to have a conversation if it came from someone like close to you with a personal Mm -hmm. connection Mm -hmm. and so they were talking about how they need to be changing the algorithms so that it's like feeding people different information to help control some of the things those things but obviously most of those companies don't want to do that because they want to make their money and you know they don't care that they're responsible for things like QAnon and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. just argue it's free speech. And you're like, there are still limits to free speech. This is yeah. the problem. A lot of people do not understand that some of these rights and freedoms and things that we get to experience are not actually just all encompassing. So there are limits to free speech. For example, you cannot run into a movie theater and yell fire when there is not a fire. You know, people think you can't regulate guns because the Constitution says we get guns, but they actually do not say that. It actually, in the Constitution, says regulated guns militia. for militias. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, you're not a militia, and it says regulated. You know, yeah, it's, that it's word just, like, regulated so up. is huge to me. I'm like, yeah, but it literally says regulated. Like, like if we're going to go back everybody to... Everybody can have any gun they want. Yeah. Well, and if we're going to go back to whatever that one crazy florida judge who was like well it doesn't disinfect things okay well let's right. look at the word regulation <laughs> like we're gonna win this 
Well, it's so hypocritical because a lot of the people who are like, you know, strict constitutionalists, meaning like they want to interpret the constitution as it was written, then argue that it says that basically everybody can just have guns and you have rights to guns. But it was like, no, it's regulated (laughs) militia against like foreign invaders you know what i mean it's not i'm right. sorry but if you really think and at that, that time that like what was probably what england, england? so now there are allies <laughs> no but the thing is is like okay being realistic nobody's invading the u.s like literally nobody if someone was going to attack the u.s they're going to like foreigners are invading every day <laughs> oh my god don't even let's not even go on that side side tangent but literally if somebody is going to do something against the U.S., they're going to, like, pull a 9-11 or drop a bomb. They're not going to literally show up on the shores and invade. Right. You well, are and that's crazy in large part if you because think we have a beautifully regulated militia in the name of the Navy and Army and Coast Guard and Air Force and the Marines. I was like, I'm missing one. So, yeah, I wouldn't go up yeah. against the, the actual regulated militia either (laughs) right but that's what i'm saying like these people like if you're gonna look at the constitution like none of this makes any sense also can i just point out i'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because now we're like focusing kind of on this gun stuff which we're supposed to be talking about later but it really bothers me about this regulation you know like you can buy this gun that nobody really outside of the military i mean you could argue maybe the military doesn't need either because these are crazy guns but i mean that's like a you know what I mean? If I guess you are in war, whatever, but you, you know, these gigantic automatic weapons you can get when you're, you're 18, you don't need those outside of the military, but you can't even drink until you're 21. I know. I mean, I'm not saying that the age, the drinking age is correct necessarily. Right, no, I would say you can, I, you can I drink at 16, at a, you can drive at 18 and at, you can have a assault style weapon. Never. <laughs> right but, but that's what i mean like I, I i honestly would say like the drinking age is probably too high but my point is we like live and die by 21 for drinking right. in the u.s not right. the uk but in the u.s but yet you can drive a car like you said at 16 which is actually can be a dangerous weapon and you know 16 is pretty uh-huh. young and you can you know buy a semi-automatic slash automatic i don't know the exact rules and categories but people do all those ghost gun things and buy those kits to change guns and i don't even know whatever you can have these guns you shouldn't have at 18 and yet you can't even drink until you're 21 i'm like what is wrong with people that they don't see that this is somehow backwards like this is messed up agreed okay sorry (laughs) over uh, but yeah, I mean, going back to the podcast, I mean, these are the types of things that Rokana is thinking about. Like he's thinking about them more in terms of Facebook, Twitter, like all of those, um, the tech giants that are in Silicon Valley. But he is thinking about them from both a business perspective. I mean, he knows like <laughs> there was a huge boon in the u.s technology sector that's his you know california is doing well right now and that technology sector is a huge piece of why because technology flourished during the pandemic but he also recognizes that while that's beautiful and wonderful 
we could be using this beautiful and wonderful tool in much healthier, multiracial, opportunistic ways where we can bring the opportunity to rural communities, you know, bring the opportunity to even just for him, rural California, because I'm sure his district has both these tech giants and some areas that are not as well um, financially viable. Uh, California has a lot of rural areas um, and I'm sure he's trying to figure out how to, how to take care of both. So he wrote a whole book on how do we give everyone who's online dignity, which I think is really interesting. I think that gap between different segments of the population is part of what leads to, you know, the majority of the issues that we see, not even just digitally, but it's hard for people in cities to understand rural communities and it's hard for rural communities to understand people in cities. And then even within each of those communities, you're going to have differences. So it's kind of hard, I think, when, you know, large segments of the population don't see eye to eye or understand, understand each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, like, his story is really interesting because he says, essentially like when he was a child growing up in an immigrant family in the United States he was like if someone had asked me when I was eight if someone named Ro Khanna was get to, going to get to be a congressman in 10 years or 20 years or whatever I would have laughed in their face <laughs> and he's like but here I am <laughs> like he has a really kind of beautiful like patriotism he's like he really wants to take patriotism like from the Republican Party and join it to everybody. <laughs> he's like, well, everyone should, should start. Be. Yes. He's like, everyone, every politician should start about how amazing America is and then they can go on. But everyone should just start there. <laughs> he's like, because we are the only country that at least espouses to accept anybody and everybody from everywhere else. And then says, like, once you're here, you have, you know, as much capability as everybody else to raised to the top. Now, sociologically, psychologically speaking, some of that is BS, but that is still the story that the, that is American patriotism. Like that's the, what people are working towards, even if we recognize that we're not there. I mean, some people aren't working towards that, but as a general goal, like that's his kind of understanding of patriotism. And it's really beautiful. Thinking maybe we should read his book. I was thinking that as well. Any other thoughts on offline in general? No, just it's definitely worth listening. The guests are usually really interesting and there's a lot of good conversations. Mm -hmm. And I like how he he ends each podcast by asking like how how people actually succeed in getting offline. Oh, so what their kind of self-care routine looks like interesting because a lot of them sort of don't get offline very much (laughs) but I mean everybody has something but it's funny because they're all basically like oh no I'm addicted Mm -hmm. but I do try to do these other things well and Rokana was like uh so essentially my wife demanded that I get off the phone when I'm with my kids so now my phone has a little home in the bedroom where it sits where I'm in another room because I am not capable of having my phone next to me and not using it (laughs) I liked that he said that though that he Mm -hmm. acknowledged that basically 
that was how he could not look at his phone was to just separate himself from it mm-hmm. yeah and he acknowledged he's like I hated it when my wife first suggested it and now it's actually I really really like it <laughs> so he was essentially like yep the wife was right <laughs> definitely all right do you want to read the blurb for imposter syndrome all right imposter syndrome by Kathy Wang in 2006, Julia Lerner is living in Moscow, a recent university graduate in computer science, when she's recruited by Russia's largest intelligence agency. By 2018, she's in Silicon Valley as COO of Tangerine, one of America's most famous technology companies. In between her executive management, make offers to promising startups, crush them and copy their features if they refuse, self-promotion, check out her latest op-ed in WSJ on work-life balance 2.0, and work in gender equality, transfer the most annoying females from her team. (laughs) She funnels intelligence back to the motherland, but now Russia's asking for more and Julia's getting nervous. Alice Liu is a first-generation Chinese-American whose parents are delighted she's working at Tangerine. I mean, it's such a successful company. Too bad she's slogging away in the lower echelons, recently dumped, and now sharing her expensive two-bedroom apartment with her cousin Sherry, a perennial founder's girlfriend. One afternoon, while performing a server check, Alice discovers some unusual activity, and now she's burdened with two powerful but distressing suspicions. Tangerine's privacy settings aren't as rigorous as the company claims they are, and the person abusing this loophole might be Julia Lerner herself. The closer Alice gets to Julia, the more Julia questions her loyalties. Russia may have placed her in the valley, but she's the one who built her career. Isn't she entitled to protect the lifestyle she's earned? Part page turning, cat and mouse chase, part sharp and hilarious satire, Imposter Syndrome is a shrewdly observed examination of women in tech, Silicon Valley hubris, and the rarely fulfilled but ever attractive promise of the American dream. So this was a book that we chose for our book club. Um, I actually read it, or I chose it because it came out right, um, right after Book of the Month, the Book of the Month Club was kind of, what's the word? Um, I would say reprimanded by its by its customers for not being a very diverse place. So lots of the books that they were choosing were white women, white men, um, not a lot of diversity. And so they essentially apologized for that and recognized and went in a different direction and so they had a month where everyone was a person of color and this was the book that I chose for that month and then um it just sounded interesting so I made Shosh and Carla read it with me (laughs) nothing wrong with that right I personally really enjoyed reading the book Um, I gave it like in the end, I think four, four and a half stars because the ending for me was very underwhelming, but also kind of intriguing at the same time. 
so I would say like the climax of the book wasn't very interesting if that like I don't even know if that's right but I was like that was the climax but then at the end with what happened with like what is left for you to kind of imagine the future I was like oh that's kind of crazy okay I like that part <laughs> yeah I gave it four stars and I think it was for similar reasons I felt like the climax you know for the buildup of the whole book was a little bit of a letdown I mean again it does leave you kind of wondering about the future and that is a bit interesting but just for I don't know how much buildup you have it kind of felt like it let you down a little bit at the end mm -hmm. but I did really enjoy the book I thought the author it was obvious I can't remember but I feel like we looked up and she had worked in Silicon Valley yes. because it felt like as we were reading it she really knew the culture and the area and like all the sort of things that were going on. So it felt like she really knew what she was writing about and you could tell that as you were reading it. And it was really cool how the story split between multiple characters. I sort of like when that happens mm -hmm. and seeing what's going on in the sort of separate viewpoints and then also how those are crossing over. And then it gives you those sort of uncomfortable feelings too because the main character is a Russian spy. So you should instantly hate her and want her to be caught and whatever. But then At you're least also if you're like, a US citizen. <laughs> right, right. If you're not also a Russian <laughs> to gain information from the US. But, but, you know, it gives you that kind of uncomfortable feeling because you're following for a significant portion of the book this main character that you probably aren't supposed to like because you know she's this Russian spy but yet you you know she's the main character so in a way you almost are scared of her getting caught but then mm -hmm. you're like but wait I should want her to get caught so it leaves you in this weird sort of uncomfortable place that I don't I wouldn't want to read that all the time but it's kind of like nice for something different because again it is sort of like a different emotion than you would normally get for your main characters yeah, for sure. Yeah, so in the book, you get the two people that are discussed. You get Julia's perspective. You get Alice's perspective. You also get the perspective of the person who recruited Julia. And I, I really enjoyed his character. And again, you had that same, like, should I like him? Like, he's done, and you know he's done some really awful things in the name of his job in Russia, but he, like, I still wanted him to be happy and find happiness and like. Again, you get those weird meshing of feelings. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think also though for him, you really could see him like getting out. Like if he gets, if you know, he gets happy enough, then maybe he like not out, out. Cause like, I don't know how that would even work but you could see him just like his spying becoming less effective? I don't know. It's hard though, because you you feel like also you end up kind of like sympathizing for them, even though you know they're doing these bad things. Because you're like, but did they really have a choice? Right. So again, you get those like uncomfortable feelings. And then it also was a little sort of uncomfortable. I probably need another word because I've now said that like 50 times. <laughs> but it gives you... Um, I don't know it makes you a little leery because you're like this is probably happening in real life right because I mean we we know 100 percent that different countries are 
spying in different ways Mm -hmm. and not to pick on Russia because I know Russia would be like why is everyone always hating on us and (laughs) I'm sorry because you're Russia and you've proved that you just keep doing these things right but I am 100% sure that there are you know probably American spies in Russia right now and Russian spies in America right now (laughs) and you know both countries or any country that has spies would you know find ways to justify that and you're like um that's a little scary (laughs) right because I mean clearly tangerine is supposed to be like Facebook so I mean or Google for all we know yeah or yeah and so for all we know like Mark Zuckerberg's right hand person is like a Russian spy or something (laughs) right so collecting all this data about individuals and sending it on and so it's crazy because it just kind of makes you think about the fact that those things are possible and could be happening Mm -hmm. yeah and are being used to like target and kill people and you're like ooh, eek yep exactly so I would say overall I would I would say this is worth a read if you're Mm -hmm. if you know people are interested in sort of the subject matter again I, I wouldn't say it was like my favorite book of all time because again that you just feel like you're building something really big and then you feel like you get there and then it's kind of anticlimactic yeah so but still worth it Mm-hmm. yeah and if you like a more almost ambiguous ending this is a good book for you because it does have like one of those you're like I'm not really sure justice was served here but I'm also I think I'm okay with that I, I can't I can't quite tell so this, there's that ambiguity you're like I, I don't Interesting. whereas I would normally like a happy ending wrapped yes, up please. with a bow <laughs> so for something different again this is like a good a good choice and a good read but normally it would not be the type of ending that I would want mm-hmm. in all honesty I don't think I ever could have gotten a happy ending with a bow in this book like even if you know what I mean no matter what happened yeah it's just not that kind of book right so. yeah well and that's what I was going to say is that it's the author does such a good job of giving you like sympathy for each of these characters so like you like I really wanted Julia to to be successful I really wanted Alice to be more successful I really wanted um I can't even remember what his name is right now but her handler Leo yes I think that's right um yeah I really wanted Leo to like find happiness and find love you know in the states I'm biased. <laughs> um, yeah, and but so you just, I mean, there are definitely people in the book that you don't like. Julia's husband is, meh, meh. yeah, not my favorite. No, and there are some other men that don't look so good. Agreed. Yeah, and then there are like police people um (laughs) i'm like what what i'm looking for like a different word but um and it's interesting because like i both wanted them to succeed but also not that's what i mean it leaves you in this weird place of kind of like rooting for somebody that you know is technically (laughs) a bad guy yep this is the same reason why I could never watch Dexter. Amir loved Dexter. 
And I couldn't watch it because he was killing people, but they were bad people. And somehow that was supposed <laughs> to make it okay. But like, I couldn't, I was like, but he's still killing people. Like I can't, it, it, it leaves you really uncomfortable and weird. And I just can't do it. <laughs> yep. So if you like Dexter, maybe you'll really like imposter syndrome. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, I can give it to him. Um, Amir to read and see if that's true <laughs> actually he he does do a lot of tech stuff so he, yeah. he might he might yeah. like this yeah in his uh, milieu so to speak yeah all right do you want to tell us about California gun safety yes I was like <laughs> how do I word it my brain is not working uh, so there is an interesting episode of the daily this week that talked about gun laws and um, focused particularly on California, because I think the Texas governor was like, well, look at California, they're no good. And so they did. And they were like, actually, so there's, you know, California, there's a lot of people who live in California, uh, just period. You know, you've got Southern California with LA and San Diego. There's millions of people there in those, between those two cities. And then you have San Francisco, which of course is another huge city in the whole Bay area. There's just a lot of people and with a lot of people comes potentially a lot of guns. And so we do unfortunately have quite a few mass shootings. I also learned that mass shootings is four or more, which I thought was an interesting uh, number to know. But it turns out that if you look at uh, the death rates by guns by percentage of people, so out of, like how many out of every 100,000 people, all of a sudden, California is one of the safest states. It's like the third safest state in the union. So like you're essentially twice as likely to die a gun death outside of California as you are in California. So I think it's like eight for every thousand people or eight for every hundred thousand. I don't really remember, but whatever, however they create their percentages, it's actually been very static and gone down in California since the eighties. So um, while one could say that our laws are not preventing gun deaths and that is 100% correct, they are gun deaths have gone down in California, while in the majority of the other 49 states, they've gone up in the last 20 years. So the, the laws don't fix everything overnight, but the accumulation of those laws is helping out. And, you know, living in California, I was like, oh, I feel a little safer now. Thank you. <laughs> right? I listened to that episode as well, and I was really interested in it. And the the main thing was that the Texas governor, whoever it was that was making the claims, was basically saying that California's stricter gun laws weren't actually doing anything. And that was why they were pointing out that actually they are. Because mm -hmm. they, they often will point to things and say, well, this is showing that they don't work. So again, they look at just the numbers of mass shootings in California and they say they're not working. But then when you break it down per 100,000 people, you actually realize that it's one of the safest places. And the same, they often point to Chicago because Chicago has strict gun laws, but yet they still have so many shootings. And they're like, well, clearly it's not working. 
But what's really happening is they're just going over the border to Indiana. So unless you're going to have rules in Indiana that make it harder for people to get guns, you're still just going to end up with tons of guns that are purchased legally just in another state then coming into into Chicago. Right. So, you know, you can't just make these blanket statements. You have to start looking at Again, you have to like equalize it and look per 100,000 people and you have to look at what's going on around these areas because again, like Chicago shows you, even though they have really strict rules and you might not be able to buy it there if you can just easily go across the border and get guns, which is why basically you need some sort of like national legislation to equal everything out. Yeah. Well, it also shows that there is something about the laws that that these people are following so they are looking for where is it legal for me to purchase this gun and going to the state or the area in which i'm 18 and it's legal purchasing it there and then traveling with their gun so the i think just the concept that like oh well the laws don't matter well if the laws didn't matter they wouldn't be going to the places where it was legal they would right. just stay wherever they are and, and get like get a black gun. gun. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not as easy as going to someplace where it's legal. So why are we trying to make it easy for a mass shooter to get a gun? <laughs> well, all of the rules and things, like none of them make any sense to me. Like, why is it such a big deal if you say someone has to say have like a five day waiting period? Right. Like, I'm sorry, in what case, other than like, if you were the person who bought the gun and went straight to a hospital and killed people in like Oklahoma or whatever, but in like what non-terrible thing, you know, like situation right. like in that, what healthy do situation? you instantly yeah. need a gun? Like right. literally, when would you ever instantly at that moment need a gun? And if say you did want a gun instantly to go hunting or something, is it really that big of a deal if you have to wait one week to go hunting? Like, I just don't see why people are so up in arms. It's like everyone talks as if it's all or nothing. Like you're going to take all the guns away. And now while living in the UK that has extremely strict gun rules, I would actually be perfectly happy with that <laughs> because the UK seems to be doing a lot better than the US. Most people in the US aren't even actually saying that because they realize that that will never happen and they're more realistic about it. But the point is, why do you need these huge, gigantic semi-automatic weapons? Why do you need to be able to buy like 3,000 rounds of ammunition at one time? Why do you need a gun literally instantly and 18? I mean, you don't even need, why do you even need handguns? Like none of it makes any sense at all. Like I don't, I I just have such a hard time understanding why you know, when people are saying we're not taking away your guns, we just want background checks or waiting periods or maybe not these really, really terrible guns that can shoot 2,000 rounds at once or whatever. I just don't understand why it's mm-hmm. this is a problem. Well, and why do you need to own it? Like so much of it is like, well, I need to own that gun. And I'm like, okay, like I have no interest in touching a gun, period, end of sentence. But let's Same. say I did because, you know, I do love to collect art supplies. So if I may try and make a gun, the equivalent of an art supply. Okay. There are some art supplies though, like welding, you know, like, you know, some different crafts where I'm probably never going to own it. It will be financially better everything for me to go and create pottery at a place that has a 
like a fire urn pottery count thank you <laughs> I was like that thing <laughs> so if you like really love guns and you really want the experience of shooting off something that does 300 shots a second or whatever obviously I don't know what these things are but go with me fine go to a shooting range where they teach you how to do it and you get that experience why do you need to own it I don't need to own a kiln right and on the off chance that you get somebody like you would have certain artists that actually make a living and specialize in pottery and would then therefore end up with their own kiln those are going to be few and far between Mm -hmm. so you could still have somebody if say I don't know. They're going to be like some kind of Olympic shooter, although they don't use those kind of guns. But I'm saying right. there are instances where you might get someone who actually does specialize and needs something like that, that mm-hmm. then they could get it, but under regulation. Yep. There, but those things are highly regulated. So, okay, like regulate it. I don't, I don't understand. I, I get, I can get to the place where somebody wants that feeling for protection. Okay. But I can't get, so if you want a single handgun, I, I don't know why you, makes you feel better to carry it around, but fine. You carry it around. You've told the state you're carrying it around. You've told, you know what I mean? You followed all the laws about carrying it. I don't get that, but okay, if that makes you feel better, great. But why do you then need 18,000 of them or like all these different varieties of them other than like for collector's purposes? And if that's the case, why are you afraid to let people know you're collecting them? And then you also don't need to be carrying them all anyways, because you're just collecting them. <laughs> when you couldn't. <laughs> like, right. But so, you know, it's like. Again, if you're such... collecting it, oh, why do you, like, you can't wait five days for it to come? I mean, isn't that just shipping? You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> like... Oh, exactly. It makes no sense. But it's also so, like, backwards. Because people are like, oh, I need the guns to feel safe, but you need the guns to feel safe because other people have guns. So then you get more guns, so then you feel less safe. So then more people need guns to feel safe. It's like, you can't, you can't win. It's like that awful sort of circular logic that just makes the problem worse and doesn't actually get anyone anywhere. And I'm pretty sure if you have a gun, you are more likely to get shot by a gun. So you are actually probably less safe. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, those stats are really hard because I mean, suicide is like, if you're a guy, that's the number one way you're probably going to die is by suicide is choosing a gun to end your life. So we literally would be saving how many men just by taking that option away from them. Like it, because maybe in five days, by the time that they get that gun, they'll be in a better place or will seek some help. Yep. Yeah. I also have such a hard time with all this gun stuff because I know it's not literally everybody. I'm making like a pretty broad generalization here, but a lot of the people that have these really strong beliefs about guns are the same people who are pro-life and are talking about saving, you know, like forcing women to have babies and saving all these babies' lives. And then as we've already discussed, they don't care once they're born, but it's like, they're all for these children and then the number one cause of death for children right now is guns. And you have all these school shootings and they're like, oh, well, like, we don't care. We need our guns. I'm like, none of this makes sense. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't compute. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, if you really cared about the kids, 
right if you really cared about the kids you would be trying to protect them from guns rather than saying we just need more guns in schools to protect them which is not a good idea no no but it was a really like i just can't stop thinking about like essentially how safe i am in california now like (laughs) i'm like yep bring on the gun rules i'm okay with it (laughs) Well, it makes me feel great because I'm even safer in the UK. I bet. Yeah. And I'm all for like you raise the age till 26. And then if you really want a gun, fine, join the military. Because that's what, you you know, that's your option. If you need to play with guns between the ages of 18 and 26, enjoy your military military life. Because those, and talk about regulation. Like, if you are caught outside, like, caught with your gun at the wrong time while you're in the military, you're in trouble. Like, they have to, if you're going to have a gun in the wrong place, you got to hide that gun in the wrong place. Like, they're not, you know, this isn't a, um, I don't don't even know what the licenses are called, where you can, like, carry the gun outside and everyone can see it. You don't get one of those. (laughs) Like, it's highly regulated. But Shosh teach us about aphantasia yes gun rant over (laughs) (laughs) okay so the thing i can't stop thinking about is aphantasia which i didn't actually know what that was (laughs) until very recently i looked it up but (laughs) i was having a conversation at work and somehow it came up about reading which obviously Megan and I do a lot of (laughs) so we're having this discussion about reading books and two of the people that I work with were like, oh, I never read books. And I was like, what? So we, we were like, I mean, I get that different people like to read more and stuff. It's not that, it's just like, they literally never read, not just, I rarely read. And one right, of them said- like, audio wasn't working for them either, right? Uh, I don't know if I even asked about the no, audio. Okay. But, but one of them though said, he was like, oh, well, I figured out, because he was like, I can read scientific textbooks, like he likes that kind of reading, but he's like, I can't read anything else, and he was like, I didn't know until a couple years ago, but I have this thing, which turns out to be aphantasia, which means that he can't visualize anything when it's, like, if someone says something to him or he reads it, so for example, I was like, so if I asked you to draw an elephant you wouldn't picture an elephant in your head to be able to draw it and he was like no he's like I could try to figure out the parts of the elephant individually because I know that it has like a leg (laughs) but I don't form like a whole picture (laughs) and then the other guy who said he never reads was like oh that's like me too he was like if you said something about the dragon in Game of Thrones and I've seen that dragon I could think about it, but he was like, I can't picture anything on my own in my head. And so someone was like, so you couldn't even like change the color or like something about the dragon that you've seen. And he was like, no, I could only picture the dragon that I have seen myself a picture of. Hmm. So then someone else walked in and they were like, oh, it's Ocean Master. Everyone knows about our Ocean Master. (laughs) And they were like, Seb, if I said something about a hill would you picture it in your mind and he was like oh yeah I can see the whole thing (laughs) and as soon as they said it it was the same thing for me I just see 
I see the hill because Seb was like oh yeah it would be like kind of dirt at the bottom going up into this and I was like oh my goodness I saw more like a grassy hill with you know like a blue sky behind it and they were literally looking at a music hill come on guys (laughs) right and they they were looking at us like we were crazy and Seb and I were like no 100% if you say anything you instantly like have a picture in your mind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. without even thinking about it yeah the, like if someone said mountain it would be different from the hill and yeah exactly. yeah you just think of a mountain you don't even mean to you don't even I never even even realized or thought about the fact that I you do that it just mm-hmm. because it's it just is the way that it you know it always is and yet they don't do that and they don't understand it which makes sense why they wouldn't like to read because right. they can't visualize anything in their mind yeah and I was like this is the craziest thing I have ever heard. Yeah. But they would also be less affected by fan art. <laughs> or more affected. I don't know. They'd be like, okay, that's fine. Because they wouldn't, so no, no fan art would necessarily like offend them because they'd be like, I don't know. I didn't envision it. So that looks, that vision looks good to me. True. That is true. Yeah. But I mean, in some ways it is beneficial because like if someone says something about something gross, like you know, if someone says someone like, you know, puked or something, again, mm-hmm. you can't choose what you're visualizing. Right. So you think of gross things too. So sometimes people talk about things and you're like, oh, and it's like not pleasant. And obviously that they wouldn't have to experience. <laughs> right. That. So it, there are, I suppose, small benefits to right. that. But in general, it's like, what a shame. Right. I just, yeah. I don't understand how, like, how that is a thing right well and the term itself comes from the greek phrase meaning without imagination so how Just sad so is sad. that yes <laughs> now aphantasia literally only means like the lack of visual imagination so we're not but saying still. that your coworkers have no imagination but yeah aphantasia is so interesting and i think when you looked it up you said it's like two percent of the population or something mm-hmm. so that's not that many people, which is probably why we've never heard of it really before. But isn't that crazy that I work with two people that have it when it's that small a mm-hmm. number of people? Yeah. Well, and I'm sure it's like a spectrum, but it is still really interesting that they both have it in like a similar way. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's a spectrum because like the one said, you know, if it's something he's seen before, he could then picture it. He just can't come up with anything on his own. Mm-hmm. So like if you asked him to think of a dragon, he couldn't think of a dragon. But if you said, hey, can you think of this Game of Thrones dragon that you've seen, then he could picture that. Whereas mm-hmm. the other one was like, no, I can't even, I can't think of anything. I can maybe get, you know, small individual parts of something that really exists like an elephant, but I cannot picture an elephant, even though I know what an elephant looks like. Mm, I just so don't know how that works. It's right? so crazy. Yeah. This is why I like to live in somebody else's brain for just like an hour. It would be so fascinating. I was going to say, but not for very long. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'd like that. No, that, and that's why I was like, maybe an hour. Like enough to like drive myself insane, but short enough to be like, I can do this for an hour. I can do this for an hour. <laughs> well, the difference would be if you've always been that way, then you haven't known anything different. So right. while in some ways that might be frustrating once you realize you have it, because you realize you're you know, kind of missing out on something, maybe it's, you don't have that feeling of loss because you did never have it. Whereas if right. we all of a sudden didn't have that, we'd be like, I, I don't know what's happening. I can't, I can't right. function like this. Yeah. Where is yeah. the hill? Where is the mountain? Yeah. Where's the dragon? Yeah. And just how, like, 
I can understand why I wouldn't read either. It'd be so generic. So like just words rushing over my mind, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's what he said. He said he has a really hard time following what's happening. Like yeah. he'll read the words, but it like doesn't stick with him. And then he like has to read it again and it just doesn't, you know what I mean? He, yeah. he can't really like It'll maintain. Ever be an immersive experience. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if it's just words and you're not getting any images or any pictures or really building a story, I mean, think about all those like fantasy books that we read where they mm -hmm. create worlds and like, you know, extensive, you know, but like both um, like worlds and landscapes, but also mm -hmm. friend groups and things. Mm -hmm. You have so much going on and you're picturing so much to like not have any of that. It would like lose, I mean, mm -hmm. everything good about it, basically. Like you said, it's just words on a page then. Yeah so interesting and so much fun to like to realize but also like like because you know like fan art the part of the fun of fan art is comparing the two like comparing different people's fan art like oh or like I do this thing where a lot of the main characters end up looking like me in some way shape or form in my mind even if I know that the like author has said this is a tall blonde or a short blonde or like <laughs> like a, eh, she's got dirty blonde hair it looks a lot more brown for some reason <laughs> nice. and then I'll see fan art I'll be like oh wait right. she had red hair right <laughs> or like you know I was telling Shosh earlier like in some of our you know the throne of glass theory series there's at one point Aelin becomes a redhead I think for like a disguise and in my mind that never ended like she was just always a redhead and then I was like oh wait I think she really is blonde <laughs> I was like but she put on that but red wig sure? and I, I don't I know did she ever take it off <laughs> it's amazing well I'm very thankful that we don't have aphantasia because I love to read especially those you know we love those fantasy books and I I mean again I guess I wouldn't know any different if you know what I mean I wasn't right. a reader and I had that but I just feel like oh what a loss that would be right yeah so, so. interesting but also like it, I can see why science books would make sense because then like he's reading right, about the like, things he can see as it is like it's all applicable in that way well and it's like straightforward mm -hmm. facts it's not like building a different you know fantasy universe, world right, or yeah. right it's like rooted in you know our universe and it's factual and straightforward and so I mean it makes sense why then he really only likes science type reading yep yeah crazy so if you think you have aphantasia or you want to talk to us about gun safety laws, or if you've read imposter syndrome, or you listen to Offline with John Favreau, or you have any questions about the instant teas from Wittard, <laughs> let us know. You can contact us at our Gmail account, apt29a at gmail.com, or on Instagram at apartment spelled all the way out, apartment29a. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Bye.